there. Welcome to SpicFic NZ podcast, where we bring you the authors that aren't afraid to ask what if. I'm Matt Danaher, and I mostly write unpublished short stories. I'm Kura Carpenter. I'm a Dunedin fantasy author. My debut novel, The Kingfisher's Debt, has come, just come out recently. And I'm Nick Whitaker, and I have nine novels that are indie published at the moment. Hello and welcome everybody to another Spec Fed Spec. Oh God! <laughs> Start again. Not staying in. <laughs> Spec Fed. <laughs> I'll just add some swearing, and you can really edit it out. Okay. Brand names. Hello and welcome everybody to another podcast. Today we've got special guest Jamie Sands. Jamie grew up in Wellington and always wanted to be a writer. When Jamie was a kid, they were obsessed with reading and with monsters. Since then, Jamie has written stories about monsters. Jamie lives in Auckland now with their wife. Jamie is non-binary, genderqueer, and has a round cat called Mochi. Jamie used to be a librarian, then a software tester and scrum master, and at the moment is working casually for a tech consultancy and pretty much writing full-time. That is awesome. You might have to explain to me what a scrum master is. I have no idea what I'm imagining. <laughs> I, I get that a lot. <laughs> it actually has nothing to do with rugby, although it was called, it was named after rugby. It's actually um, like team processes. Probably the oh, best okay. analogy is if you thought of a, a, co um, a coach for a team that's working together, like in tech or in any big company. Yeah. That actually sounds a lot more interesting than the sporting thing. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so first of all, how did you find out about SpecFit NZ? And how long have you been a member? So I actually can't remember exactly how long because it was so many years ago. Um, but it was back in Wellington. A friend of mine invited me to a book launch for some kind of book about dragons. And I can't be any more specific than that because it was so far long ago, unfortunately. But I just went along and people were talking about horror and dragons. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. So I've been a member since. <laughs> Brilliant. That's awesome. And so you have a very diverse platform, uh, not just for writing, but for other things. So what advice would you give to people when they're starting up their own uh, author platform? Do you think that authors these days have to try a little bit of everything or can they can just stick to writing? I, I think it's really hard because I've definitely gone one way, which is to um, build a platform on a whole lot of different places and possibly spreading myself too thin. So I don't know how much um, people should follow my advice, but I, I do think that you can pick and choose what works for you quite easily. Like um, there's a lot of advice online on how to market yourself. So what I did was I read all of it and then immediately tried to do all of it. So I put up a, a website and an Instagram and a Twitter and, you know, I just tried to do a whole lot of stuff. Um, but it takes time away from your writing and when it comes down to it, everyone says the best marketing is to just publish another book. But then if you're publishing and no one knows who you are, then they're not going to buy it. So it's all very, you know, it, it's circular. So Sticking in the egg types thing, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. You just don't know. So um, I think you can choose what works for you. Like if, if you find it really easy to use, to write a blog or to use Instagram, then do that and try and get build a following there. But whatever works. And if you don't think, you know, if like I've got a blog and a few people read it, I'm trying to build it up. But if I could tell that no one was reading it, maybe I'd stop putting time into that. Generally, I've found Facebook really super useful um, through networking. And I've got reader groups with some really great people in there and have found like beta readers and art readers and everything. And it's all free. 
because everyone's on Facebook. So I found that really useful. Anyway. So when we met uh, at uh, GeyserCon, it was very clear that you were a great reader as well <laughs> as a writer. So do you think it's essential for authors to read as well as write in the genres? And um, for instance, do you still uh, read YA? I do. I actually just finished a young adult novel this morning. Um, it was It's The Infinite Noise by Lauren Shippen, which is a book um, based on her podcast the bright sessions if anyone's ever heard that it's sort of a oh superhero. yes and i love the like, bright sessions yeah yeah she's just put out a book about caleb and adam um two of the main characters in that and it's really super sweet mm. um <laughs> it's going to be a tv show now too so um but back to the question um <laughs> yeah i think it's super important to be a reader um because you learn a lot from reading other people's stuff especially if it's either like way better than what you're writing or way worse yeah. Because you can kind of look at something that's not as well edited or something and go, okay, I don't, I shouldn't do that. I should avoid that. But if it's really good, you can be really inspired and go, oh, that's what I'm trying to be like. So I read um, over a whole lot of different genres, um, research and nonfiction, um, horror, uh, romance, young adult. Or, yeah, I'm all over the place, really. Comics, yeah. big, big comic reader. <laughs> and speaking of romance, uh, Jamie and I, it turns out, are both, Specific NZ and Romance Writers of New Zealand members, and actually met Jamie for the first time this year at the annual Romance Writers Conference of New Zealand. So, Jamie, I'm wondering if, like me, you've been thinking and taking into consideration that um, WRNZ, a much larger and a much older organisation than, than Specific, what do you think that us here in Specific NZ could actually learn? From RWNZ? It's, it's a tricky one because um, like I think that Specific NZ is definitely on the right track but like you mm -hmm. say it's much newer and much smaller. Yeah. Um, I've found the annual conferences for romance writers just incredibly inspiring just because they're so practical. There'll be whole streams of you know writing skills or marketing skills and knowledge sharing that's really really useful and you can get some of that at the NatCon um, which I really love. Like um, I went to the Jan Goldie um, talk on face blindness and it was just like amazing. Um, but I think that there is room for more practical courses and talks like um, romance writers do. They do like a monthly meetup um, in all the big cities, which um, is really useful. They get different uh, speakers in and stuff throughout the year. Um, and they also have like a whole thing where you can sign up and get feedback and critique partners, which I've never done but it seems like a really good idea. <laughs> I don't know if that's something that SpecFit can look into or not, but. I think we've tried doing the critique yeah. groups and it just never, it's never worked out. It's so hard, right? Because you've, you've got to pair the right people. Yes. With each other. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying absolutely. to start an Auckland one and I've had oh, yeah? five, five people have signed up in about four months. Um, all well, of tell them me about it. I'll sign up too. <laughs> and that's the biggest city, so. Yeah, it is. <laughs> So your YA um, novel, The Suburban Book of the Dead, which was nominated for this year's Sir Julius Vogel Awards, was that your first venture into writing a story with romantic elements? No, it wasn't. So it was, um, it was the first novel I published, but I think it was the fifth novel that I'd finished writing. And uh, the first one is Never Seeing the Light of Day. <laughs> um it's because it's terrible but the second one was um a book called what's the worst that could happen which is a superhero romance quite closely based on pride and prejudice 
but with superheroes and a uh, point of view character with massive anxiety. And I'm going to rewrite that one this summer, hopefully, and push it out. So I was actually doing it before I was formally doing romance. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask you if you had any more plans for writing more stories with romance, and it obviously sounds like that's the path you're going down. Yeah, it is. I've found a lot more readers for romance than I have for yeah. Book, yeah. Um, book. Yeah. Um, just because there's such a huge audience there, there's so mm. many people reading it and they read so fast yep. that they're always looking for something new. So yeah, I'm yeah. writing, um, under a pen name, Jackson Knight, um, which is a series of theme park gay romances, um, which are, which are doing pretty well. So. Did you say theme park? <laughs> yes. Ah, okay. now that's a, that's an interesting one because we had, um, we had Trudy J on recently. And oh she- yeah, yeah. And she's done a series of, and I probably went on about it a bit too much, but it was really fascinating <laughs> to me about the subgenre kind of yep. niche audience you can get through online marketing. And like her first series of paranormal romances is based around carnivals. Mm. And it seems like there's a bit of a crossover there with um, theme parks as well. And that's another, <laughs> that's another kind of one of those niche things I hadn't really thought mm. about. But actually, yeah, you can, when you, you do can think get... about it, it's massive in films and books and theme parks are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, I really love Disneyland in real life and, and various other theme parks. So I thought, well, one of the things with romance, which I have seen less of in Specfic, is that you can have a series interlinked with different main characters in each book. So, mm. like the traditional published ones tend to be like, oh, there's this couple and they get together, and then the second book is the sibling of one of the first. Yeah, yeah. first. And yeah, it so just goes through the family and everyone finds love. Yeah. Um, so my, yeah. my theory with the um, theme park was that it would just be people who worked at the theme park mm. finding love um, and you can visit back with them as the series goes on. Well, the cameos, love the cameos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love putting them in. It's so fun. Yeah. And because whenever <laughs> Go you've back. got that sort of that closed environment of yeah. those limited amounts of people, yeah, it all, it all connects and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. So you were talking about your um, other pen name. Um, and so what have you found are the pros and cons of using different pen names? And when in particular would you recommend someone start using a different pen name? I'm assuming it's if you change genre. Is it that simple? Yeah. Is that what it comes down to? Um, usually, yeah. Yeah, that would, that's like the big reason is if, like if I was going to publish everything under one name, it's mm. hard to build an audience who want like young adult novels and then I start writing other stuff that might alienate them. But another really good reason to do it is if you're not sure if the new stuff will work, like mm-hmm. if it's a risk, it's a calculated risk. If you put it out under a pen name no one's ever heard of, it doesn't matter if it flops because no one's <laughs> going to associate it with you. <laughs> it's not going to damage you. But the flip side of that is if you put out a secret, uh, you know, a novel under a secret pen name um, and it does really, really well, you can't quite celebrate your successes in the same way. You can't yeah. go, hey, look at this cool thing I did because you're trying to keep that thing sec- secret from, you know, your mother, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> so, yeah, usually it's it's a genre thing. Um, or sometimes, uh, well, with romance, it can be a steam level thing, which is yeah. the code word for how much sex is in it. Well, I'm, I'm definitely not going to go down the pen name route, but um, on the subject of what's suitable for readers, before I come on to my questions, yeah. um, I've just remembered that, 
my partner and I got um, the Suburban Book of the Dead for her niece at Christmas. Mm. I had it in my head that her niece is about 13. And um, we kind of read through it and thought it looked fine for a 13-year-old. And we were like looking for just to check there was nothing too kind of intense that she might be embarrassed about getting from her from her auntie. But uh, then we realised anyway, actually, we haven't just haven't seen her for ages and she's actually like 15 or 16 now. <laughs> so that was all fine. That was a relief. Well, was, I, I was uh, going to say that you're lucky because right before I uh, one of the last things I changed before I put it out is I took a sex scene out of there. There was initially a sex scene in it because I wanted there to be a sex scene in a young adult novel where both characters were really obviously consenting and it was a good experience because I think that that can happen with teenagers sometimes but um, someone pointed out to me that a lot of America is very buttoned down when it comes to sex with teenagers and I should just take it out and I'd be able to sell more so I have a scene where they're thinking about it and then they say no let's not and then they just huddle instead so that's cool and also the um you don't want a male in it who's like actually 500 years old and a girl no i didn't do that so yeah. that was <laughs> i good. actually did the the initial inspiration for writing suburban book of the dead was because i was pissed off with twilight so yeah that's well that's how the best thing start is it's like an anti-twilight <laughs> type thing. um so i uh i attended the uh rpg panel you were on at geysercon I really enjoyed it. It's really interesting. And you kind of went all over the place. Um, and one of the things uh, for me is I'm, I'm kind of really interested in, uh, in RPGs. I don't have enough time uh, to play them, really. I did join an RPG group recently oh, yeah. and I've kind of dropped out um, through, through lack of time. And also because it was kind of a D&D themed one. And actually, I'm not really into D&D um, other than uh, different types of stuff. But what I was interested in is is the impact that RPGing can have on, on your writing. Because mm. I think particularly in terms of character generation and kind of scenery generation, set generation, it kind of seems to be a, there's a massive crossover there. Yeah, definitely. So I um, what I've found is, yeah, like you say, generating characters can be really interesting. If you're, I've definitely experimented with characters, um, using them in a tabletop role-playing game first and just sort of, sensing if there's enough depth there to maybe write about them or not and i've definitely stolen characters from role-playing games and put them in books but also i found it really interesting to use role-playing games to spawn fiction uh just in general i don't know if you've ever written fanfic but um you can write fanfic about games that you've played in and that can be a really interesting story starting point oh that's interesting you know when i was a kid actually i did some of my earliest writing was short stories based on Dungeons and Dragons that I played. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're so familiar with those characters, so it becomes, becomes easier. Um, and actually, and sort of conversely, a friend of mine who's in my role-playing group, um, we play a lot of indie games. He had an idea for a screenplay um, in the tradition of Japanese horror movies. And he wasn't sure if it was going to work, so he made it into a game that we could play and see how bad the monster was and how easy it would be for people to defeat it. And we only played one session and we're not sure if our characters survived or not. So it was a bit (laughs) terrifying, but he's really keen and is writing it as a screenplay now. (laughs) So, you know, benefits. Based on a Japanese (laughs) horror, um, I'm not sure anyone can survive, can they? I'm just trying to... Usually there's one person. Okay, well... But they might still be then. cursed at the end. It's hard to say. There's a chance. Yeah, they'll, they'll wake <laughs> up 24 years later and their, their daughter will be 
being it's haunted by the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's almost guaranteed, I think. <laughs> Um, sticking with the role-playing game uh, theme, um, and this might be a controversial view for me, um, <laughs> but it, it seems like I've only recently got back into the idea of role-playing games after a long time uh, away. And when I was originally, when I used to do them, it was basically Dungeons and Dragons, Warhammer Fantasy role-play, um, and, and basically cheap rip-offs of those, and then and maybe the odd horror game like Chill. But then as I've become more aware of it in the last few years and, and kind of got more into it and I've looked on Kickstarter and places like that, it seems like there's, to me, it seems like there's been a, a revolution um, in indie publishing and availability of games um, which uh, kind of explore really different worlds. Um, and there's, there's a podcast called gauntlet.com, which particularly in my, my view kind of uh, explores some of those more interest ones that to me are more interesting. Uh, based more in the real world um, and I was just wondering how you feel about that you know do you agree do you disagree it's sort of tough because I've never played Dungeons and Dragons myself I've only ever played the the crappy rip-offs but um, my my real love is in story games so indie games mostly or games that started out indie and are now published um, so for a long time that was kind of everything that was around and then Dungeons and Dragons put out the new edition um, right around this time Stranger Things was playing and it showed people playing Dungeons and Dragons and that and now all my friends are playing Dungeons and Dragons and I don't want to I'm like no come come back here to the story stuff but you know I mean they're loving it and there's nothing wrong with playing Dungeons and Dragons obviously but um, like you say there are a ton of indie games around and it is really easy, I think probably easier than ever before to get them published through Kickstarter and Indiegogo or just <clears throat> just self-publishing them. But in my particular realm, um, it's hard to play things which aren't D&D. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be quite honest. I've not, found, I've not found a group in Auckland that, mm. um, that is based on anything other than Pathfinder or D&D. Oh, yeah, Pathfinder's everywhere. Yeah, <clears throat> which is disappointing, actually. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna have come to go online to do. Uh... Come around and play with us. Oh yeah, okay. No, I might, <laughs> might be interested. It might be. Um, it might be Japanese horror where you die, but you know. <laughs> no, Japanese horror is fine. I'm cool with that. As you know, when Kura in- introduced you at the beginning, um, your preferred pronoun is they um, slash them, and um, I was recently uh, rereading my first. Um, published short story where I, I wrote a trans main character you know for me it's really important as a cis white male to write characters who aren't like me you know I, I felt at the time when I wrote it which it was probably written sort of four or five years ago um, I kind of felt like I was being quite woke like I had based it on um, people I knew and things like that and I kind of did put some real effort into it but um, you know actually reading it back I was like cringing at myself um, a few times. I also, you know, as what I'm interested in is what can we as writers do when we're trying to write people who are different to ourselves um, and you identify as genderqueer. Uh, if, if somebody's going to write a genderqueer character, um, what's the number one thing that would kind of you'd find off-putting or jarring? So for me, the, the number one, like most jarring thing is when this story is about um, the drama of being trans or gender diverse or gay or whatever. Um, but it's told through the effect it has on the other characters. Um, 
I had a, two immediate ideas for examples for that. One of them is a book that was recently written called My Brother's Name is Jessica. Um, and another one is a movie on Netflix called Jenny's Wedding. And both of those stories focus on the issue of a straight family dealing with this one member of their family who's um, trans or gay and how horrible it is for them to have to adjust. So what I would say is instead of doing that story, um, make a character that's, you know, genderqueer or trans or gay or whatever, but don't make the whole point of the story that that's who they are. Just have them be a normal character doing, you know, the hero's journey or whatever. And, um, you know, if you have to write about the trauma of it, which, you know, is legit because there is a lot of trauma involved with being in a minority like that, focus the the trauma on that character themselves not the people around them not their their brother having a problem with you know what they're doing does that make sense i um oh, yeah, <laughs> feel like yeah. i rambled a bit there <laughs> no totally totally um and i actually feel like i certainly did avoid that i did avoid those traps in, in my story yeah, yeah. um i mean that's just i've never heard of my brother's name is jessica but even the name the name should tell you right yeah that's, that's just yeah. a terrible name. It is. It's uh, it's written by the guy who did the boy in the striped pajamas, and he's, as far as I know, got no experience of trans uh, life at all. And yeah, that name. But is yeah. is he? Yeah, has he got any connection to Holocaust survivors as well? You know, I don't. I have no idea. No, you're now making <laughs> question question that. That's interesting. Um, it's kind of it seems like to me like an amazing sense of entitlement that people have. Um, sometimes to write from a certain point of view. I mean, I've, I've got a character in something I'm writing at the moment who's a she's um, a Zimbabwean lesbian soldier, and um, I love the character. And uh, there's no way I'm not going to include her in the story. And I actually feel I do feel quite confident that um, I'm kind of avoiding traps because mm. I know enough people who fill it into at least one of those descriptions. Yeah. That you know, I can, I can, I can get away with it. But yeah, I definitely. Well, yeah, um, and you, you know, you talk to them if you're not sure, right? That's, yeah, exactly. It's as simple exactly. as that. You know, if if you're writing something, you're like, mm, I'm not really sure, then you find someone who matches that kind of description and ask them. Exactly, and it's no different for me than um, a friend of mine was writing a story recently, which um, I kind of beta beta read for them, which which was about had a secret agent in it, mm -hmm. and um, I've written stories about secret agents, and I've spoken to people. I thought you were going to say you were a secret agent. <laughs> no, but Breaking I have. News. But I have been. I was accused of it, having been one for, for for challenging a load of stuff in the story and saying this is just not realistic to me, yeah. um, and, and saying why because I have spoken to people who have worked in the intelligence and security services mm. for the purposes of writing. For me, the kind of um, talking about people's identity and and background and and you know whether it's race or gender or sexuality or whatever, it's no different to if you're researching. Police yeah, exactly. Or intelligence services, or soldiers, or, or whatever. It's yeah. kind of you should put the same effort into into everything, yeah. really. You just immerse yourself in that kind of world for a bit and, yeah. and yeah. learn about it. It's yeah. cultural, exactly. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's um an interesting, always an interesting topic of conversation as well, uh, and, and definitely one I've probably brought the podcast back to a few times. Uh, <laughs> we probably it's it important to talk about because it does feel like we're in a kind of um time and place where things are becoming more known yeah. but there's still a large part of society that's resisting understanding yep. yeah and we're even having a backlash before winning yeah yeah mm -hmm. 
you know, normally people would wait surely until you've won a load of gain. I mean, there's been some gains won, obviously, but you win a load of gains and then the backlash happens. And it feels like right. sometimes it feels like the backlash is happening a bit, a bit sooner. Um, anyway, on a, um, on a happier note, <laughs> on a happy note, sorry, a more posit- positive note that doesn't discuss backlashes. Um, what have you personally found is the best thing about belonging to Spec for Ken Z, Jamie? Oh, so, um, I just think the the network, like the ama- amazing amount of support from the other writers and the other people in Spec for Ken Z. Um, all, all the people I've met through it have been really warm and really accepting and just really easy to talk to and, you know, all that good stuff. Brilliant. <laughs> I have another question. <laughs> yeah. So have you thought about using your sexing from the um, YA and having it, it like a little extra that kids can, or teenagers can go find if they're mature enough for it? I had not considered that. Wow. <laughs> there's your, there's your I am. newsletter like sign up right there. Yep. <laughs> your freebie for your newsletter. I mean, I could put it on Wattpad easily enough. I, I think there's a lot of stuff on Wattpad. Yeah, because there's also like a lot of adults read YA. So mm, that's if they true. want to that find it, they can go and find it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of 85% of the way through the sequel to that book. Um, and I'm forefronting one of the minor characters from the first one. And she's coming out as gay during it. And so that's more stuff is going to happen there. But I'm still not sure about sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's an amazing idea, actually. I'm going to steal that idea for something. <laughs> I, think, I didn't come up with that idea. Someone else said I sign up, yeah. Yeah, no, someone Brilliant. else told me that one. <laughs> yeah, in romance, there's a lot of that, or um, epilogues, like yep. the happy ever after with the weddings. Yeah. Yep. Mm, I like the idea of that as well. That's, uh, <laughs> this, the, the whole world of romance is completely, I still haven't actually read, apart from Trudy J uh, novella. I still haven't read any romance and I definitely even do. if you don't read it I highly recommend going to the romance writers conference oh yeah annual conference yeah. there's the conference is so brilliant. Much, yeah so much good stuff yeah and you don't have to be a romance writer to go there and enjoy it. I meet quite a few um crime writers oh yeah there's lots of crime writers there yeah yeah no absolutely I'm all open to it some of the best speakers I've seen at uh, um events have been from the romance writers mm. side of things so definitely <laughs> Definitely interested. Certainly if they come to Auckland, I'll go. Um, uh, yeah, it's in Auckland next year. Auckland next year. Oh, well, there you go then. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to go then by the sound of it. Cool. As long as it doesn't clash with Worldcon. At least you, you'll be easy to spot, mate. Yeah, what, in, on what grounds? Because there'll be you and about four other guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there were like yeah. a dozen guys there this year. I thought it was quite a good turnout. I only, I only saw four. Oh. <laughs> it was, it was a, yeah, well, a, that's, I mean, there's about 200 people there, so yeah, you know, that's that's fine. I'm not going to feel uncomfortable on those <laughs> grounds. Um, so, um, thanks, Jamie, for for coming on the podcast. It's been really great having you here. Um, thanks for having me. Where can our listeners find you online, and also, what have you got coming up that you would want people to find and read? Well, I have just released um, a Jackson Knight romance called Recipe for Chaos which is about a playboy billionaire falling in love with a hardworking chef who takes no nonsense. Um, it's not technically specific, although there is a unicorn character in there. It is a unicorn suit that someone has to wear and run around <laughs> the <park in. laughs> um, 
So you can find me online on Facebook. I'm under Jamie Sands author or Jackson Knight author if you want the romance, and that's Jackson J A X O N because Jackson spelt normally was a baseball player, I think. Um, my Twitter handle is night at Nightwing, but it's N one G H T W N N G. I'm on Instagram, Jamie Sands author. I've also got a Patreon, uh, which is Jamie Writes. And then I've also got my own podcast, which is called Writing Troubles, and that's on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and SoundCloud. And it's also on Facebook now, too, because, as I said, I'm on all the platforms all the time. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We'll, we'll definitely check that out. You could um, yeah. invite us to be on there, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. so far it's just me rambling for about eight to ten minutes about stuff i've found hard but i'm very open to having um having guests yeah we can always come on and and ramble about stuff we've found hard in writing yeah i think we're good at rambling if you're talking about stuff you found hard i'm definitely downloading that (laughs) oh yeah no it's it's pretty i uh it's not edited at all because i'm like this is the only way i can get it out is if i don't spend any time on it at all so i just record it and release it straight away so right, it is a bit rambling like, but that sounds um, like a great way of releasing podcasts it is it's so much so much time saved yep <laughs> fantastic thanks again yeah, brilliant yeah, thank, thank you. you very much everybody um, Night. see you later yeah.